Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Good morning, church. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. If you're a visitor with us or a guest, oh man, welcome. We are so glad you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, I hope you guys had a blessed 4th of July week. Uh, I didn't hear any stories, and it looks like everybody came back with all your fingers attached, so that's, that's a blessing. Uh, accidents happen. It happened a couple years ago at one of our, uh, our parties. It's crazy. Uh, we're glad you guys are here. We are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians this morning, and we're going to be picking up in chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> so if you have a Bible or your device and you want to make your way, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Do you ever notice that uh, when certain people get around a specific group, uh, maybe specific groups or friends or family, that their personality seems to change a little bit? Maybe the way they talk or their mannerisms or maybe even the way they dress changes depending on who they're around. Uh, Students, if you're in here, middle school, high school kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your school persona Versus who you are at your grandparents' house, uh, I, I would bet it's probably a little bit different, right? At school, you got your drip on, right? It's bussing, no cap. Uh, at your grandparents' house, you're probably a little more reserved, maybe a little more respectful, uh, and you probably use words that make sense. Because uh, if I said that when I was, you know, 20 years ago, my grandpa would probably would have smacked me in the back of the head. But it's not just young people either, right? Adults do the same things. Wives, I'm sure you notice that when your husband is around a certain group of guys that they they change, you know, maybe they kind of stick out their chest a little bit more, suck in the gut. Uh, And the use of the words like uh, bro and dude just like increase 10 times. Don't worry, though. Ladies, you do it too, right? Uh, Guys, does does your wife turn into the woo girl when she gets around like a group of ladies where it's like, woo, oh my gosh, did you believe what happened last night? Like they, their like voice goes up a few octaves, and they, they act a little crazy when they get around their friends. Uh, one of my favorites is my wife. Uh, she's from Kentucky, and so whenever she goes back home and is around family, uh, as our two boys like to say when they were younger, uh, her cowboy voice comes out. That's what they called it. So it's like words like yonder and holler and crick and y'all. They seem to kind of flow more naturally. But uh. We all seem to imitate others from time to time, right? It's a normal part of of humanity. And it's not really a bad thing, depending on who you're imitating. It could be. They say imitation is the highest form of flattery. But what we're going to see in our text today, in Ephesians chapter 5, is that we are called to be imitators of God, not man. So to set some context for us, if you haven't been with us recently, we are beginning to wrap up our time in the book of Ephesians. And last week, we kind of seen the whole book kind of start coming together. It's because we are, were adopted, because we were saved, because we were brought into the family of God, united by the Spirit, now we're being told this is how you are supposed to live that out. And we saw it last week from Adam that this is a new creation. And what we're going to see in these last two chapters of Ephesians is instructions on living out in this new creation. And that's what we're going to pick up in chapter 5. Now listen, there's a ton of, verse 1 through 17, there's a ton that we could unpack in these verses, and we just don't have the time to do it. 
But Paul is exhorting us today to be imitators of God, and we're going to focus on three commands from the text, and I think it's really going to help us embody everything that's in the text today. So really the big picture, the big takeaway today is that in a world full of imitators, Christians, followers of Jesus, are called to imitate God. So as we examine the text, as we open the scripture today, we're going to see that to imitate God, we must first surrender, surrender our desires, our pursuits, then learn to walk in love and light and in wisdom. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or or who is covetous or who's an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul begins in verse 1 with an exhortation, with a command to do something, that is to be imitators of God. But we have to be careful here because there's often a pull to imitate God in the wrong ways, right? We are not all powerful, even though we want to be. We cannot be everywhere at once, even though we often try to be. We do not know all like God, even though sometimes we think we do. We are limited in so many ways that we cannot, in fact, imitate God fully, But here in the text, Paul is pointing us back to something he just said, right? The the verse begins with, therefore. So because of what I just said, you need to imitate God. So let's look back at what he just said, the last verse of chapter 4. Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So he's telling us to imitate his love, his grace, his mercy, and his compassion, And to do this as beloved children. Kids often imitate their parents, for better or for worse. When a father is loving and gracious and merciful, he sets an amazing example for his kids. We are beloved children meant to imitate the perfect father. So it doesn't matter what your earthly father did or what example he set. We are called to imitate the perfect father. So as we unpack the rest of these verses today, that's what really is Paul's instructing us to do, and this is what it's going to look like to imitate the perfect father. So the first point, if you're taking notes today, is that we imitate God by walking in love. We imitate God by walking in love. Now, if you've been around Mercy Hill for any length of time, we've talked about love quite a bit in a a bunch of other sermons. And there's lots of different kinds of love and lots of different examples of love in the Bible. But this love... The love we are to walk in is the same love that brought Jesus to this earth. It's the same love that sent him to the cross. That's why Paul says in our verses, walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. For followers of Christ, to imitate God, we must live lives marked by sacrificial love. And just as Jesus' death was a sacrificial offering that was pleasing to God, 
when we humble ourselves, put others first with love, not only are we imitating God the Son, but we are pleasing God the Father. Now, Paul gives us the contrast to this, starting in verse 3. He says, if you walk in immorality, right? Immorality in this context is sexual immorality. The Greek word that's used here will sound very familiar to most of us, porneia, right? We get a very common word that we use today from it, porneia, which covers a multitude of sexual sins. So he's saying if you walk in immorality or if you walk in impurity, which means to be unclean in a physical sense, that's why it's often paired with immorality, but impurity also carries the idea of being unclean in a moral sense, where our lustful desires and impure motives that often drive us to every manner of sin. And he adds greed to the list or coveting to the list, right? That unhealthy desire for more, coveting what we do not have. And then in verse four, he adds filthy or coarse language to the list, calling us back to what Adam taught about last week, right? If we were to walk in love, then our words should be used to build others up, not tear people down. Now, the Bible is not a book or a list of do's and don'ts. We like to think it is sometimes. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's a book about God and his character and his plan and his story and his love for us. But there are lists of do's and don'ts in the scripture. And this is an important one. It's important because Paul says these things should not be named among you. Why? Well, look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, that's pretty heavy. I know some of you might be thinking, because if you're like me, you have failed at these things often, right? Because remember, Jesus said that even if you think it, the immorality in your mind that, that you've sinned and committed adultery, that you've sinned and committed immor sexual immorality, if it's in your mind, we all fail at these things. We all covet so does this mean that you're not saved or that you don't have that promised inheritance? No, it doesn't mean that, but it might. Remember what chapter 1, verse 13 said. In him, Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. Now you're like, yeah, it's sealed. I'm sealed in him. And that is an important word in that verse, but that's not the most important. It's the one before that. It's believed. If you believed in Christ and the gospel message, not just intellectually, but in a manner where you put all of your faith and all of your trust in him, if you put all of your chips in, you went all in with Christ, everything that you have, then yes, you are sealed. But simply saying you believe with no action behind it, nothing that would demonstrate that you have confidence in the gospel, saying that you believe while your life is marked by unrepentant sin or immorality and purity and greed, then those things would cast doubt on your inheritance. Being adopted into God's family does not mean the end of sin in our lives. I wish it did. But what it does mean is that God will be at work in your heart, turning you from sin and turning you towards love. And when you do fall victim to these things, when you fall victim to yourself, a life walked in love will lead to repentance and to surrender. 
So really, I think to be able to walk in love, the first thing that we have to do is surrender. Now, that might sound weird. To walk in love, you have to surrender. But think about, think about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Jesus surrendered. Jesus modeled God's love by surrendering, taking on the form of a servant, surrendering to the very point of the cross, demonstrating his love for us by dying. You cannot ever hope to walk in love if you are wrapped up in yourself. Right? And that is the trap of sin. That's the trap of immorality, impurity, of greed, of coveting that makes everything about us. Life becomes all about what feels good and what we want and what you want. We have to surrender these things to Jesus. There's a, a popular uh, purveyor of sex and pornography. You guys might remember this. Uh, there was a big like, court case in the 90s and different things. But uh, this company began selling T-shirts that read, Relax, it's just sex. Relax, it's just sex. And people wear them all the time. I still see them. The world loves to take every good gift that God has given us and cheapen it. Marriage and sex are God's invention and not ours. When we make them ours, they become cheap idols and weak imitations of what God meant them to be. Now, listen, we could spend hours breaking down what sexual immorality means in the Bible in all of its forms, but the simple truth is that God created man and woman in his image. Man and woman gave them marriage so that the two could become one. And it's not meant to deprive us, but to empower us to have incredible relationships within a covenant marriage. So we have to surrender these cheap imitations to walk in love, to experience the real thing. And it doesn't just go for immorality, it goes for all the impurity and the desires that pollute our minds and our bodies. So to truly imitate God and walk in love, we have to surrender everything, sex and power and money and fame and security. But we live in a culture that tells us that those are the things we need, that if we chase these things, that the end will justify the means. That's the other lies because there's never an end because they keep moving the finish line. And as you practice these things, they only get worse. As you practice sexual immorality, it only gets worse and becomes an addiction. As you grow in greed, it only, you feed it more and more and more. And I understand, like, I understand our context, where we live at. I get it. It's hard. If you want to buy a four-bedroom, two-bath family house in Cobb County that's not a fixer-upper or a shack, it's going to cost you well over $400,000. It's crazy. So you have to make money. You have to do these things. But greed grows when the house is not enough. Because then you need to dress the part, look the part. Well, then you need to drive the part, right? You got to have the right car. So we have $1,500 in freaking car payments every month. That's not enough. Then we got to bring it into our families, right? Because our kids have to be perfect. They have to have this too. So we over-program our kids and we want to make them perfect, we want our perfect Instagrammable family. And the more you make, the more you want, and we take the good gifts that God has given us, and they become the objects of our affection, not God. They become little gods in our lives. All the while, God, our creator, takes a back seat to our idols. And not only does God take a back seat, but so do others, right? We cannot hope to love others 
to love people well when our affections are wrapped up in stuff. You have to surrender. We have to surrender our very identity, our sex lives, our, our money, our things. We have to surrender it all to Jesus. Imitating God begins with surrender, because that's what Jesus did. Surrendering our desires and walking in love as Christ. When we do those things, then we can become light to those around us. Let's pick back up in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the, the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So our second way to imitate God, or second point to imitate God is to walk in light. We have to walk in light. So Paul begins verse 7, reminding us again with another, therefore, because of what I just said, because you are called to be imitators of God, because you are called to walk in love, because you are called to cast aside immorality, impurity, greed, filthy talk, do not become partakers with those that do. That is who you used to be, not who you are now. You were in the dark, but now you've been brought to the light. So walk in the light. And walking in the light means that we are seeking to please the Lord and not ourselves. And then he doubles down again on this command to not take part in the works of darkness, but instead to expose them. To expose them. Now, this is often where I think the wheels fall off for, for Christians, right? Because we read those lines that, that we need to expose sin, we need to expose darkness, and all of a sudden we become the sin police. Seeking out the sins of the people around us, ready to blast them on social media, gossip about them behind their back, cut them out of our lives. That's not what he's telling us to do, church. Look at verse 12. What does he say? It's shameful to speak of the things that they do. It's shameful to even speak of it. So he's not telling the church to put them on blast because you shouldn't even be talking about it. He is telling us to expose them to the light. Too often, as Christians, we want to either ignore the darkness and hide from it, or we want to shout at it from a distance. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus modeled for us. He walked in love, in surrender, into the darkness. Not partaking, not celebrating it, not even really trying to cancel it. He simply brought his light into the darkness with love. What happened when he did that? We have example after example after example in the scriptures. It was exposed. The darkness was exposed, and it often led to repentance. It often led to life. So eight years ago, those of you guys that know our story, eight years ago, I was in darkness, consumed by immorality, impurity, greed, and we had begun going to church the year before that. 
And I got pretty good at, at playing the church game and putting on the church mask. But when my sins became revealed, my expectations were that the church would be done with me, that the people around me would be done with me, that I would become the source material of gossip, that I would be cast out, and that I would be left in darkness. That is the exact opposite of what happened. Instead, I was met with love. I was met with hugs, embraces, prayer, and support. I was met with light, not condemnation. And at first, right, it was bright. I did not like it. I wanted to stay in the darkness. I didn't want to be revealed. So I tried to retreat from it. But they kept pursuing me, kept pursuing me, kept bringing the light to me. Then in my life, an even brighter light began to shine. It was my wife, who had every right to cast me out for the things that I had done. But she became my prayer warrior. I could see the light of Christ in her. I could feel the love of God from her, even though our relationship was terrible. Now, after a few months of people just coming to me and bringing me into the light, it took time, but I was ready. And Christ came in, and as the scripture said, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And he permanently brought the light into my life. I, don't, I can't think personally of a better illustration for what it means to walk in light. So many people did that for me. God puts his light in us so that through love, you would use it to bring light to the world. He didn't He didn't give us a flashlight to point at people from the distance and say, oh, look at your sin. Look at what you're doing. I'm exposing you. That's not what he did. He gave us a lantern. We're a fire. We're a lamp to expose it, to light all around us, to cast light in every direction and bring people in in love so that they may experience the love of Jesus Christ and the grace of God like I did and like many of you did. Walking in love and walking in light they sound easy on paper when you write it down, but in reality, it's, it's a difficult task. That's why Paul gives us one final exhortation to guide us as we go. Pick back up in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the, what the will of the Lord is is. The third point that the Christian life requires us to walk in wisdom. Christian life requires us to walk in wisdom. So Paul is telling us here, if we want to be imitators of God, if we are to walk in love, if we are to be light, then we need to watch our steps, right? That's kind of the idea he's getting across here. We need to pay attention to how we walk, to how we live. Wisdom means Marking and measuring each step, knowing where your feet are going before they are getting there. And Paul gives us two examples of how to walk in wisdom. And the first is being that, we, that the wise make the most of their time. And they do this because they know that the days are evil and time is short. And then the second example he gives is that the wise must understand the will of God. So the question is then, well, how do we make the most of our time? The most successful people in the world make the most of their time. Elon Musk, he's maybe a terrible example, but 
He's one of the most successful people in the world from a worldly standpoint. Elon Musk is said to spend up to 100 hours a week between his multiple companies and endeavors, 100 hours a week working. That doesn't count his family time, his recreation time, everything else that he does, 100 hours a week working. That is a very extreme example, but it gets very extreme results. The question for us is how much time does God get in our lives? Is it just today? Is it just Sunday for one hour? Is it a, a few extra hours with a small group during the week? Is it some, a little bit of time in prayer here or there? Maybe you've got a, a Bible reading plan that you're working through, and you get to it when you can. There are 168 hours in a week. If we gave God eight hours of that 168, that's about 4%. I would say most of us struggle with that eight hours. God's not even getting a tithe. He's not even getting a tenth of our time. If we want a vibrant faith, one where we are growing in love and light and wisdom, then it's going to take time and it's going to take commitment. God wants our best. He wants your best, not your leftovers. So how do we make the most, how do you make the most of your time? Uh, I don't know. I don't, right? You're different than me. You have a different job than me. You have a different family than me. Uh, you were raised different than me. You like different things than me. I don't know how you make the most of your time. But I know what will help. You make a plan. Make a plan. Figure out what works for you. But as you make this plan, you have to prioritize God first. God first. Then your family. Then your work. Then your play and your rest and food or whatever else is important to you. Then you plan those things out. But, but here's, here's the catch. God's the priority, but as you plan out those other things, then you weave God into those things as well. God should be weaved into your family. You should be spending time with God through your family. Man, you should be at work praying for coworkers. If you're able to, sharing the gospel with them. As you play and do activities and have community, you should be sharing Christ with those around you. God should be weaved through everything that we do, not just random times through the week that is like church time. Our students, uh, when we went to camp last month, uh, heard this message. Uh, it was that one of the biggest sins in their lives may not be the immoral things that they do, the impure things that they do, the greedy things that they do. But the very fact of doing nothing at all with the gift of grace that God has given them, has given them. Doing nothing at all with the time that God has given them. It's so easy to do nothing today, right? You sit on your couch and you get in your like Netflix time machine. Next thing you know, you lost eight hours of your life. It's so easy to do nothing. But time is the one gift that we will never get back. We have to make a plan and prioritize God first. That is wisdom. The second example Paul gives for being wise is knowing the will of God. Knowing the will of God. Uh, Pastor John Stott said that the will of God can be understood in two ways. A, a general will and a particular will. General meaning that that is his will for all of us. In particular meaning his will for us individually. In general, God wants his family, his adopted family, to worship him and to be on mission for him. 
walking in love and bringing the light of Christ to the world. That's his general will for all of us. And we can understand that. We can know that by engaging with the scriptures, right? It's full of God's will, not just a list of do to don't, do's and don'ts, but it's literally God's will for the world. And it is a proven fact that Bible engagement or the lack thereof affects every other aspect of a person's spiritual walk. Bible engagement is going to affect every other thing you do. That's where wisdom is. It's where truth is. So we have to engage with the word of God if we want to be wise. Now, understanding God's particular will for your life, uh, it's a little different, right? The Bible was not written to you. Uh, It was written for you. So it's going to be helpful, right? The Bible is going to be helpful in discerning God's will for you individually, but it's not going to give you all the answers. To really know takes prayer. You have to pray. You have to talk to him whose will you're trying to discern. You have to talk to your heavenly father. He will reveal God's will for your life or his will for your life. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes you're like, I, I pray and I don't hear it. I don't know it. What also takes community. It takes you guys. It takes us together. It takes the church. God has called us together so that we can know and love and support each other. So that if I have a brother or sister who's struggling understanding God's particular will in their life, I can say, hey, hey man, I can see this gift in you. I can see God's grace in your life here. Maybe that this is God's will for you. That's why community is so important, because when we fall short, when we don't understand, we pick each other up and help. That's why community is one of our core values here. It's how we become wise, because we're not wise on our own. Walking in wisdom, it's going to take patience, it's going to take planning, it's going to take prayer, it's going to take people, it's going to take the Word of God, the very truth of this world the very source of wisdom. So to be imitators of God, God calls us to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Now, our world today has, uh, has no lack of so-called uh, influencers, right? This, this new thing that's kind of happened in the last five to 10 years, we get influencers, social media influencers, Celebrity influencers, people shouting that, hey, be like me, dress like me, act like me, think like me, believe like me, buy what I buy, and you will find yourself. That doesn't even make any sense. How can you act like somebody else and find yourself? That's what the world is telling us to do. Imitate us, right? And you'll find happiness. Most of them just so they can make a buck, right? But... What good is it if you imitate an influencer or an actor or a politician or celebrity or even your parents, your friends, your coworkers? You could imitate them and gain the world, but what good is that? It would not be worth it to lose out on what God is offering. The do's and don'ts of the Bible are not meant to oppress us. They're not meant to take from us. They are meant for our flourishing. 
our flourishing in the kingdom of God, our flourishing in the family of God as adoptive sons and adopted daughters. So I wonder today, what would it look like in your life right now if you surrendered to God's will? If you surrendered your burdens, your immorality, your impurities, your greed, your lust for more, what would it look like? What would God do through you as you begin to walk in love and light and gain the wisdom of God? What if you, what if we surrendered today? Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.